Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Amazing Race Rewind podcast, the podcast where we go back in time and watch the earliest seasons of The Amazing Race. My name is Andrew. And I'm Jill. And we're here to talk about season one, episode five of The Amazing Race. So overall thoughts on the episode. I thought this was a much slower episode than last week. I did too, but I know we also said last week that it was a very, very well done episode and that this week would have been very hard to top last week's and I think it was, but it was still definitely better than maybe the first or the second one. Maybe. I don't know, but like driving around the Sahara Desert doesn't exactly grip me. It's not the most gripping television I've seen. I will say I got pretty excited when their their first clue was Tatooine because instantly it jogged my memory that Star Wars was filmed in Tunisia and uh, I think a couple other parts of Northern Africa, but Tunisia I knew. So I was like, oh, of course. Yeah, I didn't know that. But Kevin and Drew said something. I, I The minute that the first clue was opened, I knew that it would be something to, I'd do with Star Wars, but we'll get to that in a bit. Wow. So before we got into the episode, we got received a couple emails from a couple lovely individuals. Yes, thank you so much. First, we want to thank Ashley for sending us a podcast recommendation. Now, the podcast is an interview with Team Guido, and she warned us that it does contain spoilers. So we are not going to spoil anything for ourselves. We are going to save this podcast till the end of the season, when we've watched everything, when we know everything. And after our final episode, where we recap a race, we will do kind of a recap of our whole season and we will discuss everything we, that happened, everything we saw, and then we will also discuss podcasts like this that are sent in by our listeners. Yeah, so we'll just do a final little podcast to add a little bow on top of the season. Um, again, the interview she sent us was done in 2021, so it was a fairly recent interview. Yes, we will. I'm looking forward to listening to that after we, we wrap up and then discussing it in the recap. Yes. And we had some other questions as well. Yes, we got a few questions from um, someone that we know who goes by the name of Davina. She had a few questions for us. So the first one she poses is, if The Amazing Race didn't exist, but we still had to make a podcast like this, what show would you make it about? Now, I have one in mind, but I don't know if like this is a show that we would have in common or just one that like, you personally would be interested in. I didn't even think of it as shows. I just thought of what topics would you and I discuss. And I had a couple that I think... I think we would mutually think of if we just any topic we had to discuss, I kind of knew. Oh, okay. Yeah. See, any topic, I also have have one then. I f- should we say it at the same time? If this is wrong, okay. it'll be so bad. Let's no, no. Go. I, th- I think we have it. Okay, ready? Three, two, one. Yeah. Hunger Games. Hunger Games. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What were the shows, though, you thought? See, okay, I thought Survivor, like early seasons of oh, Survivor. I I don't know. There's something about old reality TV shows that are that's very interesting to me. I would almost like to see us do a Keeping Up with the Kardashians. That could be good. <laughs> I like that. I knew you would be on the same brain brainwave as me when it came to the Hunger Games. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. But yeah, there's something about old reality TV that's intriguing to me. But I would be down for Kardashians, the old seasons of the Kardashians. But I don't know about the recent stuff. Yeah. No. But the old stuff is comedy gold. Yeah, but with Survivor, there's so many podcasts that talk about the old seasons and they people. It's so such a well documented show. I don't think I'd be able to do it justice in comparison to the other people that have podcasts about it. No, we're we're fortunate. We own the genre of Amazing Race podcasts. Yeah, and Davina had another question that we are gonna, or two other questions, I guess. 
Yes. So so the next one was, she was asking about the production budget for the show and how it's changed over the years. And that is a great question. One that I... It's also a really difficult question because there's just not a lot of resources online that I think either of us were able to find on this at all. Not even a mention of a season one budget from what I found. Um, the executive producer or one of them is Jerry Bruckheimer, which if anyone is, you know, in the industry is familiar really well-known executive producer, has a company, um, has financed things such as Pirates of the Caribbean, so quite a bit of money. I don't imagine money was a huge issue at, at any point, um, and I, but we both found kind of really only one article that gave us any sort of numbers. Actually, an article from The Guardian in Trinidad and Tobago, and specifically season 32, so quite a ways off, episode one. And throughout all of episode one, it was shot in Trinidad and Tobago, and they spent $2 million dollars employing 300 locals while filming that one episode. So I know that's a pretty niche fact and it doesn't really address the question, but it gives you kind of an insight into maybe how they're budgeting or maybe how they're going about constructing or hiring people for the show. And the the little thing that I found from an interview was um, one of the executive producers said that from the first season to the second season, their staffing or like their crew doubled or even almost tripled, which would obviously have an increase in their budget as well. Wow. Yeah, I think even just from season one to season two, there would have been a a large increase, although I couldn't find any numbers or any exact information on that. Right. The final question was about the filming permits, correct? No, I don't know. Do we want to save this one or do we want to talk about it now? I don't know. I didn't do research on it, so I'd, I would like to do research, but if you really want to talk about it now, we can. Okay, you know what? Well, we can come back to this next week, either next week or a different time. But thank, thank you, Davina and Ashley, for your wonderful emails. We really appreciated that. If you want to send us an email or if you have answers to the questions that Davina asked that we didn't, that we can find or you want to enlighten us with some information, <laughs> Amazing Race, uh, wait, Amazing Race Rewind at gmail.com is where you should go. And I guess you can also DM on Instagram, right, Andrew? You take yeah, care of that? Absolutely. Amazing Race Rewind is the username for our Instagram page. All right. Well, that was quite a lengthy intro, so I think we should get into the episode. Just right, get right into it. Yes. Teams start from the Coliseum in LGM, where they complete the last leg of the race. And they get their clue is a picture of a, of a monument with the word Tatooine, Tatooine or something, which is 300 miles away. Right. So I think I don't I couldn't quite see on the clue because it looked like it was sharpied onto this picture. Yeah, I believe it was spelled as Tatooine as in T-A-T-A-O-U-I-N-E, which is a name of a village in Tunisia. Now, Star Wars fans will know that Tatooine is Luke Skywalker's home planet in the Star Wars universe. So I guess and Tatooine in the Star Wars universe is spelled T-A-T-O-O-I-N-E. So I guess that was kind of paying homage to to the town where they filmed when they when they created the Star Wars universe. Interesting to note. Mm-hmm. So Joe and Bill are the first people to to start at four o two a.m. again in the middle of the night, and then after them Kevin and Drew, and then Nancy and Emily, and then Paul and Amy. Interesting thing that happens here: they were in fifth yeah. last leg, but they got bumped up to fourth due to production difficulties. I wonder what that was. I know. Yeah, no, I was reading an interview that mentioned production difficulties with his name is Brady O'Connell, who is a producer of the show. And he said the the time credits were given for things more like not if the camera people were slow or the sound person was slow. It was more something like if a camera guy dropped his battery. Well, this is a quote. He says, camera guy dropped his battery because he went back to get his battery. The team missed their train. 
And then as a result, that put them behind. So like little things like that. That's nice though that they're really careful and and specific about those things and doesn't let that affect the team's performance. Yes. But yeah, I I guess that's the little wrinkle that they've ironed out since then because I've never heard of a time credit being assigned like that. That's true. Yeah, that was, I think, probably the first one of the first and last times we'll hear about that. Yeah. So yes, and then Lenny and Karen are the last teams to depart at 5.43 a.m. So it is an hour and 40 minutes between the team in first and the team in last, which is not that big of a gap. No, it's a pretty tight race. Yes. So they have to drive three, it's 300 miles, correct? From the Coliseum and LGM to Tatooine. Yes. Where they encounter a detour. So the detour is puzzling versus listening. So puzzling is where they have to go to a hard-to-find location to solve a simple puzzle. And listening is where they play a quote-unquote difficult walkie-talkie <laughs> game at Kasar Hadada, which is where the Star the exact location where Star Wars Episode One was. The Phantom Menace, yes. Yes. So yeah, those are our two options, and everybody chooses the second option. Again, they're just with their detours. They're just not giving... Like they, they have this idea, I guess, in season one when they develop the show of, okay, we'll have one that's hard to get to but easy to do and one that's harder to do but easier to get to. And everybody just, it seems like there's always a really obvious choice. It's very rare in, in this season so far that there's a even split between detour cho- choices. Yeah, and again, this de- this detour didn't change the order that teams in, like the order that they arrived or the order that they left. It's just, again, par for the course for season one. Because everyone picked listening, right? Which is, they had to go to the set of, uh, I don't I don't quite remember what part of The Phantom Menace the set is, is from, but it's essentially probably a bunch of houses and shops that were, that became Tatooine. Yeah, so just some, I did some research on this. So a Kassar, which is like the town or whatever that they did this in is a community of attached houses which are widespread among the oasis populations of northern africa and are contained within a single continuous wall and is made out of um, mud brick interesting and there are actually people living in this village according to a census as of 2014 the population was 1142 people oh wow which, which yeah i did not think that people actually lived there but most of the village's residents don't live there anymore and only return in the holidays that's and then also a part of it has been turned into a hotel for tourists just because, of course, it has. Well, if it's a Star Wars filming location, why not? Yeah. I will say, this is a little side note, but when I first saw the picture, there was the globe and Tatooine. Now, I don't know how familiar you are with Star Wars, um, but in episode four in A New Hope, which is actually the original film, there's a scene um, which I knew was filmed in Tunisia in which C-3PO is walking through the desert of Tatooine and there's kind of this skeleton thing just lying in the sand. And mm. I knew as a Star Wars fact that they had left that skeleton there after they finished filming. And it's just, I, I think it may even still just be laying there. I don't know. But I kind of thought they were going to go see that. So for some reason I got really excited and was oh. actually disappointed when I saw these houses. I was like, oh, why aren't we going to this random skeleton in the middle of the desert? Why would they go to the actual filming filming location when they can go see this obscure skeleton? I know, but I don't know why my mind went there, but hey. So on the way to the detour, we got a couple character moments. We have a, um, a quote here from Karen where she says, I like things done a certain way, preferably my way. And then we also ter- learned that um, Karen's mom told Lenny when they started dating that he has a lot of work in front of him with Karen, which is such an odd thing to say about your child when like someone starts dating them. I don't know what my mom would say. I'm going to be honest. Yeah, really, really not endearing. <laughs> and then also we have a wholesome moment for once with Paul and Amy 
which is them talking about winning the million dollars and how Amy wants an expensive wedding. And knowing the events of the episode, it seems like they're trying to have us garner sympathy for them a little bit. Amy was quite car sick throughout most of this. I felt really bad for her. Like she yeah. was usually in the back seat throwing up. And I, you, I'm sure you caught this, but at one point, um, I, when they're, I don't know if it's when they're driving to this location, the detour or the next one, but Nancy and Emily are kind of close behind in their car to Paul and Amy. And Emily comes back and tells Nancy, oh, you know, Amy's, Amy's feeling really sick. And Nancy just goes, oh, bless her heart. I know. I love that. But about the being sick, like, I feel like being on The Amazing Race, that would be my worst fear, is to get sick. Because that just takes all the fun out of the experience. Not, and not even just, oh, I've got a cold or I have the flu, but just you're you're not on a regular diet. You're not on regular yeah. bathroom schedule, sleep schedule, anything. Like, your, your body has no consistency. You're just, com- like, it'd be so easy to just get nauseous or get, yeah, throwing up all yeah. the time. And there's no time to rest. You just have to keep going. And imagine how stressful it would be because you're like, oh, I'm sick now. I can't perform to my best ability and I have to keep going. I know. At the detour, everybody chooses listening, which is you are handed a walkie-talkie. And within the Kassar, there is another walkie-talkie that's connected to the one you're holding. And beside the walkie-talkie that's hidden is the clue. So you essentially just have to walk around talking into your walkie-talkie until you hear the other walkie-talkie and find it. It's, It's pretty straightforward. Yeah, very straightforward. We did have some strategy here with Kevin and Drew where they went onto the roof to try and... Um, they they had found the clue and they saw yeah. Bill and Joe coming in. And so they thought they were going to try and throw Bill and Joe off by going on the roof, which I wouldn't bother doing. I would just get out of there, whatever. But it actually worked. It did work. Yeah, I was wondering what you thought of this, this move because it did seem a little bit extra, but I think it was smart for them. Yeah, I mean, I look, look, I wouldn't waste my time, but good for them. It, it did work. And I have to say, Kevin and Drew, hearing them saying, I'm talking into the walkie talkie in a New York <laughs> accent repeatedly and repeatedly and repeatedly was hilarious. Oh, my God. They, they were they were really on one this episode. There was a lot of banter back and forth between them. And not there in was. Way. I don't think anyone struggled immensely with this walkie talkie task. I mean, it's pretty straightforward. You kind of blow into the walkie talkie to create static or yell into it. And eventually you hear it somewhere. Yeah. And it didn't seem like it was a a very large village that they had to navigate through. No. Although I think they said Rob and Brennan had a little bit of difficulties. And it's interesting to note that they they were behind. They were in last place for the majority of this leg. Yeah, I was kind of not concerned for them, but it was very different performance than we've seen from them because they've been at the front of the pack up until this last leg. So I, I kind of, I remember I said to you last week, they're either going to come back or they're going to be out this leg. And I was kind of watching them to see what it would be. Yeah, I thought they were done, but then, because they were in last the whole time and then all of a sudden they managed to, to come out in fourth. Yeah, but. which is pretty impressive. Okay, and then also... For this leg, teams can once again hire a driver or drive themselves, but the driver cannot help them directionally. I just don't get this because the money is never an issue. You never hear kind of about this money other than in episode one, it was mentioned that they were given $90 and nobody has been broke or nobody has been, you know, scrounging around for money at all. Yeah, I'm just assuming that a lack of money hasn't really been an issue. So I guess just going off of that, I would say hire the driver because the advantage to that is you can discuss like the directions with your teammates. So it's not like all on one person. Which I think is what Rob and Brennan decided to do. And they, they yeah. even said that. Yeah, that's it for the detour, really. Nothing really happened. 
no again this episode was now looking back at it it was very straightforward and there was not many tasks per se i'd say the majority of after the 20 minute mark in the episode the next 25 minutes were them trying to get to this flag in the middle of the desert with nothing but a compass and a map and it was like i'm gonna be honest i was bored it was a lot of just driving around in circles in the desert and people getting frustrated it was absolutely aimless. The one kind of redeeming quality for me, maybe, was there was a really nice shot of the, it was the sun in the center of the frame, and then all around it were these superimposed shots of the desert while the, the sun stayed consistent mm. in the center of the frame. And it was just new desert scene and new desert scene. And it kind of set the tone of, you know, the great Sahara Desert. Yeah, just how barren it is. It really is. Okay, so yeah, so after the detour, their task is to drive in the Sahara Desert to found a route marker, with their only tools being a compass, a map, and yellow stones along the way. And like a, a lot of teams struggle with this, namely Paul and Amy, Frank and Margarita, and Lenny and Karen seem to be having issues. I think, though, from what I could hear is some of them don't know how to use a compass, which would be a big issue. Yeah. And also, I don't blame them for being frustrated, though, but if you're in the middle of the desert and you get told to look for yellow stones, that's a really, (laughs) that would would tick me off. It's like, why would they, why would, why do they have to make the stones yellow? Can't they make them red or blue or something? Cause I guess yellow's on brand for the amazing race, but like everything in the desert is yellow, but I feel like I would, this would be so hard for me navigationally because I have never used the compass. I don't know how to use the compass. What? Yeah, why, why, in what point in my life would I need to use a compass? I got Google Maps, plug it in, let's go. Do you know how to use a GPS? Well, what what's the difference between like a no, GPS? I'm, I'm just checking to make sure you know how to use directional tools. <laughs> well, a GPS, you just plug it in and it gives you the directions, right? No, like a, a, like a, an actual GPS that gives you coordinates, like 45 degrees north, 160 degrees west. No, why would I? why would I use that? I've never done that. Andrew, we did an activity in like grade six where we oh, would give, I was the person in the group that knew, knew how to use the GPS to go around town, but it's not that hard. Okay, well, I have never encountered a moment in my life other than that one specific instance where I've had to use a compass and a GPS to navigate my way. Okay, well, so, I think we know that if we're ever on The Amazing Race, I will be in charge of that. Yeah, but I want you to know compass. that you have a compass app on your phone. <laughs> Do you never use it? what use would a compass app on my phone be to me i don't know i when i'm in the city i always have to know where north is i'm always i'm always aware of where north is are you not well if i if i need to know i'll open up my google maps app and it'll tell me what happens if google maps goes down one day what happens if we lose all cell communication one day do you know how to read a paper map well i can't say i've come across an instance where i've needed a paper map really andrew No yeah. compass, no paper map, no GPS. I thought we would excel at this task. Well, I thought I would suck. Okay. Well, if we have you who knows how to use a compass and knows how to use a paper map and all these old school navigational tools, then sure. Okay. <laughs> Good to know. Yeah. So I thought this task was, was extremely difficult and quite anxiety inducing because you really don't have much of an idea if you're going the right way because you're just driving in the desert where everything looks the same. Oh, I do think like I'm not downplaying the difficulty of it, especially yet yeah, so much of the desert looks the same. But I think that the fact that people didn't know how to use a compass was probably really putting them off. Well, yeah, because there was they had to line up the red with the red line, and I don't understand. I'm not going to explain to you how <laughs> a compass works. Okay. Okay. Well, it's not that difficult. 
moving on. <laughs> yeah, for our listeners, Andrew doesn't know how to use a compass. Okay, so, so we have a, another a good moment with Lenny and Karen here. So when they're in the car, upon completion of the detour, they're both just glaring at each other for five seconds. And with Lenny and Karen, you don't know if they're about to flip out on each other. So it looked like they were angry at each other, but all of a sudden they just like put their hands up and high five. I thought it was it was thought it was a great moment for them. You're so aware and so in tune with these minute physical or social connections between the teams. I don't know why I'm just never looking for that stuff. Really? I love seeing just like the the character dynamics and everything. Interesting. Okay, and then another thing that I noticed, which was interesting, but I only noticed this the second time I watched the episode, where there's this close-up of, like, Rob and Brennan, and on Rob's hat, it has writing on it. His kind of Australian cowboy hat? Yeah, the cowboy safari hat thing. I have I mean, I've seen the hat, and I've thought some comments about the hat, but I've never noticed oh. writing on the hat. So there, there was writing on it, and the first thing I noticed, it had, it had the names Matt and Anna on it, crossed out. And then I paused the video, or the episode, and then I looked, and it was hard to see, but it also said Songway Village. So I guess, are they, like, keeping track of the pit stops and who was eliminated? If Maybe. so... That's kind of interesting, though. Like, that would be a really, besides the strategy tool, that's a really unique souvenir to have you know writing all the places you've been with this hat and stuff and yeah keeping it like that yeah so like was this a souvenir or do they have incredible foresight because (laughs) foresight they're writing about the past on it no 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 foresight for like a challenge upcoming because it's become a staple of finale episodes for there to be a task where you have to recall different parts of the race true but i wouldn't be i feel like i'd be able to figure it out i wouldn't be writing writing on a hat well, I don't know. I thought that was interesting. Oh, well, maybe maybe if it really pays off for them, that's something that if you and I ever go on, yeah. we should think about doing. We'll have to keep an eye out for it if that, if that ever comes to effect. But I noted it. Good for you. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even notice that. That's good eye. So Kevin and Drew were the first people to found this route marker, which is a flag with an arrow pointing in the direction where they have to go. And which Drew is literally decided- just into the middle of the desert. Yeah. And Drew decides this is a good spot to, to take a pee. Nature calls. I will say, I, I like how, for some reason, I think it's pretty common sense that the route marker is pointing into the middle of the desert. I can see car tracks going into the desert. I don't know why they all thought they should walk. I would assume let's keep driving because it looks like there's some car tracks there. Because this route marker, they're on a what looks like a paved road or like mm. quite packed down road. And it is pointing kind of off the road, but there is one or two visible car tracks there. So I would think, well, sure, let's go by car. But some teams decide to go by foot. I think most teams, yeah, went by foot. And then I think a few of them realized how far away it was and then turned back and got the car. Yeah, I wouldn't even get out of the car. Yeah, well, maybe they just thought it was just just right there. I don't know. But I mean, and this is what we're talking about. There wasn't a lot that actually happened. This portion of them in the desert trying to find this one route marker that points them <laughs> further into the desert is that's all they're trying to find based on a compass and coordinates. And it's incredibly difficult. Yes. Yeah. But it's once they get there, there's only really one task until they get to the pit stop. And the task is sitting on a camel to go to the pit stop. Like not <laughs> yeah. a lot happens. Not a lot at all. Although this leg does seem to test a lot of the teams. That like, That is true. It's This seems to be the hardest leg thus far. What was the episode called though? It was something about desert storm. I think so. Yeah. They chose that one well. So we have, yeah, the roadblock. So the prompt for the roadblock is who wants to go for a ride? So it's a roadblock, but not really because both people have responsibility in it. Like it's not just one person. It's just whoever chooses has to ride the camel and the other person guides them. 
And they made it sound like as if wrangling this camel was going to be incredibly difficult because they were saying your one option is the person who chooses to do the roadblock sits on the camel while the other person walks or you can hire a camel wrangler. But there was no camel difficulty. The person who was walking just held the leash of the camel and walked walked in the general direction of where they needed to go, which was very clear. Yeah, and they also made it seem like it was going to be hard to find, like you only have to use the compass. But then Kevin and Drew just went like, oh, I can see the flag from here. So they they didn't have any navigational problem with that at all. And then they got to that. So lay it out better for listeners. They're on this road and they find this route marker that they were told to go to, which is hard to find. That route marker leads them to the place where they get on the camel in the middle of the desert. One person's on the camel. One person's leading the camel. They have to go to this other route marker, which is within visibility. They get there, and the the clue is, again, just keep riding the camel, essentially. <laughs> what are we doing here? Which is also very close, and that's the pit stop. That's it. It's pretty easy. But with the camel handler thing, my first impression, with the way that they were describing it, was, oh, I wouldn't want to do that because I don't want to have to rely on an animal. Because what if the animal just doesn't go on my command, you know? You've never really like ridden a horse or anything. No. See, I would be perfectly comfortable riding a camel, I think. Okay, yeah, you have horse experience. I don't. I would be so nervous because I don't like... Well, I've ridden a horse maybe once at summer camp, but that was it, and I hated it. I see. I would have no issue being on the camel. I would have no issue riding the camel. I was actually, while watching this, I was thinking of this scene in The Mummy. Sorry, I'll come back around to that. Because I was thinking, well, how difficult would it be? Like, would it be really weird compared to a horse? But there's this scene in The Mummy where, forgive me, I'm not familiar with a lot of the specifics of the film, but they're trying to get to the city where the guy, the mummy, is buried, and it's they're racing the Americans. Brendan Fraser's character and Rachel Weisz's character, their little group, and the Americans are racing to this city. And the Americans are on horses, of course, and then the other group is on camels. And the camels are even faster, but they look pretty sturdy to when they're galloping against these horses. So I'm like, oh, maybe it wouldn't be that different. That well, was yeah. a very that was a very poor explanation <laughs> of the mummy, and people listening are gonna have no idea what part of the movie I'm talking about. Well, I've seen the mummy maybe once, and I have no idea what what you're referring to. But you made your <laughs> point. <laughs> I made my point. Was it clear? No, but it was made. Kevin and Drew are first, and they seem to have no gratitude or appreciation towards this experience of riding a camel in the Sahara Desert. They're just bickering and arguing. It's miserable. Their banter killed me. <laughs> well, to me, they just seemed miserable the whole time. I was like, maybe have some appreciation for this cool experience. I mean, I think half of their banter is kind of just they're doing a bit, but yeah. they're also because who's, I don't know who's riding the camel and who's walking the camel, but the one who's on the camel, he's like, can you hurry it up? Like, I'm getting sand in my eyes here. And the guy who's, you know, walking through the desert is just like, shut up. <laughs> yeah that's their bit is just not being very nice to each other i suppose in a friendly way though like they're they're, yeah. they're, they're joking around i will say if because in the in the amazing race canada at least you get a i know we brought this up earlier but you get a prize every time you win a leg yeah and they've won a couple legs so far so if this was amazing race canada or maybe even later seasons of the amazing race they would have a couple good prizes up their sleeves yeah yeah, so yeah, their their pit stop is at the Oasis, and they're actually the first team to win two legs. In the history of the Amazing Race? Yeah, Good and for they seem to be quite far ahead of everybody, so I'm interesting, interested to see what the the times are next week when they start. And and Nancy and Emily came second, correct? I think they were, they were third. The Guidos were in second. Guidos were in second. I did like, yeah. it was, again, a very wholesome moment when Nancy, Nancy and Emily checked in, and uh, Kevin and Drew went to go hug them and stuff. <laughs> yes. 
It was we see, their, we see their relationship once again. Like you love a good kind of unstable alliance and you love a good rivalry, but there's something very wholesome about just two teams who genuinely are just happy to see each other. Yeah, exactly. With Team Guido not really being a part of the fold in that case, no one seems to be friends with them. But another thing is there was no fast forward again this episode. We didn't talk about it last week, but there was also no fast forward last week. So I guess nobody wanted to take it these past two episodes. Yeah, because I mean, I know we've brought this up before, but they always have to have one planned in this in in this season, at least. There was always one planned and whether it was used or not was up to the teams. And yeah, we haven't seen it for two legs. Every team can still has it available except for Robin, Brendan, and Kevin and Drew. So I was kind of surprised that we, we didn't see anybody take it these past two episodes. I know. Just a little update here. We have Lenny and Karen, Frank and Marguerite, and Paul and Amy are all still navigating the desert. They still seem to be lost. Robin and uh, Brendan really make a comeback here, and, and they're, they're fourth, correct? Yeah, yeah. Robin yeah, Robin Brennan are also behind, but they don't seem to have issues with this navigation. They find the roadblock right away. And yeah, yeah, we just see them at the roadblock ahead of everybody else. And again, for people listening, this sounds like a really short episode, but it's because if you watch this episode, so much of it is just this navigating in the desert. And I mean, it really, especially these last three teams that you mentioned here, it really does take a toll on them. And it's hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially with Amy throwing up in the back seat, she really can't help Paul. I felt so bad for her, but I think yeah. at one point he just says to her something along the lines of like, "Okay, this isn't about the race anymore. Like you're not doing mm-hmm. well. Like we need to look after you." Yeah. Lenny and Karen and Frank and Margarita find the roadblock at relatively the same time. And for a second there, I kind of forgot that Paul and Amy were in the race and I thought, "Oh, one of these two teams is going to be eliminated." That would have been intense because they were very close. They were, they were very close. Yeah. Meters within each other. Yeah. So if they were the last two teams, that would have been that would have been a good finish. But they were not. They were fifth and sixth. Yep. And then Paul and Amy don't even do the roadblock, do they? They just drive up to the pit yeah. stop. Yeah. They're completely lost in the middle of the desert. And they just see the oasis or where the pit stop is and they just drive towards it. And I think that the, the other teams were genuinely concerned about them. And we're very happy when they knew that Amy was throwing up. She wasn't feeling good. And it obviously had been quite a bit of time between, you know, when the last two teams had checked in. They hadn't seen Paul and Amy for a while. According to Wikipedia, it says that they were they were hours behind everybody. And they sent production crew to to go drive around the desert and look for them because they were completely lost. And I'm assuming there's no like cell service or way to contact them. So they really were just completely lost in the desert. I mean, that would be... I would not like the idea of that. Just, I mean, to be driving around in this race and then you see your production team come and find you and say, you're so lost, we've had to like send a yeah. party for you. That would terrify me. I would not like knowing that I was that lost. Yeah, well, and this could have been a part in the race that went went bad because what if it wasn't just Paul and Amy who got completely lost? Like, what if other teams... What if you had five teams in the middle of nowhere that just couldn't couldn't find each other? <laughs> Yeah, then what do you do? What's your next move? Again, this is something I think they definitely ironed out in later yeah. seasons. And also with the help of technology, that would just never happen. Exactly. And also, 
According to an interview that I that I read from 2001, way back in the day, Paul said that there were rescue choppers sent out to them, which seems a bit dramatic to me, considering I think they were only gone for a few hours. But who knows? But I mean, Amy, like the if you've got teams coming to the pit stop and saying, "Yeah, Amy was throwing up mm. and they're lost," like ultimately the show could, if if something happened, the show could be held liable. So you want to be you want to be careful. Yeah. So Paul and Amy are eliminated at at last. Um, oh, without completing the harsh. roadblock, what do you say? You said at last. That's pretty harsh. Well, I don't. I think I was trying to say at last, and things got switched around. But whatever. Oh, I see. Yeah. So I think they they were a team that brought entertainment. <laughs> they, they brought. I'm gonna quit. They brought crying in the back seat. Yeah, not particularly a team I was rooting for, but I think they did bring something to the season. They weren't just there. They had personality. Yeah. Yeah, and I think they were kind of a prototype for the bickering couple team archetype that we see on pretty much every season of The Amazing Race after this. Yeah, I mean, other than that, I really don't have anything else to say. Again, it was a long episode and I was kind of bored in that middle section. It was a drag. It was, but at least next week looks a little more exciting. Yeah, so next week, I don't know. Drama, airport drama, your favorite. Yeah, they say airport drama they said there's an airport strike so that should be interesting to to see what that entails and they were talking about something how the guido's strategy like infuriates the other teams yeah the guido seemed to pull a fast one on on people and everybody is quite upset about it (laughs) so that should also be interesting but also no idea where where they're going the entire um next next week on segment was just in the airport it seemed like well, I'd imagine that an airport strike would not have been accounted for when this episode and the travel was planned. Yeah. So who knows? And then also just looking ahead, we have six teams left. We're on episode six next week out of, I think, 12 or 13 episodes. I will confirm that right now. I think it's 13. So yeah, we only have to eliminate three more teams before we get to the finale. So what are we doing for the rest of these there episodes? Are 13 episodes. Yeah, so we have... The last one is two parts, it looks like. For sure. Okay. So we have about six, seven episodes left with only six teams left. Yeah. I don't know. It's going to be interesting. I don't know what they're doing. I don't know either. Like, I guess they could have a non-elimination, but they haven't had one up to this point. It seems kind of late in the season to start that, but we'll see. But I think that also brings the suspense, brings the drama. You know, you always kind of forget that maybe you and I don't, I feel like, because we're so... We think about everything when it comes to The Amazing Race, mm-hmm. but... You know, for a viewer watching The Amazing Race for the first time in 2001 and you get to episode 10 of 13 and you're thinking, oh, no, I don't want this team to go. And then they get to the mat and Phil says to them, this is a non-elimination round. You've been saved. That would that would be great TV. That would be amazing. Yeah. When there's nobody is expecting it either. Yeah. So I guess we'll have to see. Yeah. So a bit of a shorter episode for you guys this week, but still still pretty interesting, I think. Yeah, I think, yeah, it was an interesting episode. Teams driving aimlessly, not something that we see often. And not something we want to see a lot of in the no. future. Either. That is it for this episode, unless you have anything else to add. I do not. I'm looking forward okay. to next week, though. So, yes, give us a good rating. Apple, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, follow us on Instagram at Amazing Race Rewind. Sending us, send us an email at AmazingRaceRewind at gmail.com. And we'll see you next week with episode six.